Thank you for worshiping with Bethel Maidstone United Church. This is an outreach ministry of our congregation. My name is Catherine Elston, and today's episode focuses on faithful action. It's the fourth in a four-part series entitled Faithful Tools for Challenging Times. Our scripture lesson today is from the letter of James. This letter has been traditionally attributed to James, the brother of Jesus, who was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And in this letter, James really emphasizes the need for action. He seems to be responding to Paul's arguments in the letter to the Romans that it is by faith that we are saved, not works. Paul was talking about works of obedience to the Jewish law. And James is talking about works of charity. And he says, yes, faith is the first step, but our faith needs to be reflected in the way that we live in the world. I actually preached on this uh, passage a couple years ago, and I'm sure that you all remember the slogan I attempted to craft. It's really taken off. Um, it's when something like this, what do we do? The word. What do we not? Hears only. What do we do? The word. What do we not? <laughs> we'll try every couple years. <laughs> so let us, um, let us pray as we prepare to hear these words from the letter of James. O oh God, as we receive your word through Holy Scripture, open our eyes to your justice, open our ears to your judgment, open our hearts to your love. Amen. Reading from James chapter 1, verses 17 to 27. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But 
Be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the word. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, Thanks be to God. Women get much feistier and braver as they get older. Is that true? There's lots of nodding. <laughs> Women get much feistier and braver, braver as they get older. I hope that's true. It's certainly been proven to be true for Jane Fonda. We know Jane Fonda as an actress, right? And, um, and a fitness mogul. But she's been a lifelong activist, speaking out about causes like the Vietnam War, climate change, and racism. And recently, she's been ramping up her activism. After being inspired by Naomi Klein and Greta Thunberg, Fonda says she knew she needed to do more. So she really did something quite dramatic. She moved to Washington and started some, something called Fire Drill Fridays. It's a weekly climate change demonstration. It was held in person for months and now it's moved online. So every week she gets out there with a bright red coat on and a megaphone and leads people in protests to raise awareness about climate change. And what's all the more impressive about this is that she is now 82 years of age. She's recently released a book, What Can I Do? From Climate Despair to Action. I heard her interviewed on CBC's radio program Q, and Tom Power, the host, toward the end of the interview, he asked her, you know, what keeps you so active? What keeps you hopeful? She says, getting older helps. She describes how getting older is hard work, but it gives one perspective. When things get tough, you can say, and this is a quote from her, been there, done that. Things have been bleak before. We survived, we got through. How did we get through? By staying active. She says, when I start getting depressed, I know the best antidote to depression is activism. She describes the very first Fire Drill Friday when she and just a dozen others or so were on the steps at Washington with placards and chanting. She said she felt so good. It was like stepping into herself. This is a quote. When you put your body, when you're putting your whole body on the line for something you believe in, when you're fully aligned with your deepest values, 
there is such a feeling of empowerment. When we boldly align our actions with our deepest values, there is empowerment and hope. Today is the fourth and final sermon in our series, Faithful Tools for Challenging Times. And our final tool to face the challenges of this moment is faithful action. Sometimes when things are tough, it's because something needs to be done. Something needs to change. And that doing can take on many different forms, right? Doing may mean asking for help when you need it. Doing may mean mobilizing for broader changes. The letter of James from the New Testament that we heard is all about doing. It's about putting our faith into action. In our reading today, James talks about the gospel. He describes it as the word of truth by which we are reborn. He says we kind of need to quiet ourselves, listen carefully, so that we can welcome with meekness the word that has the power to save our souls. Now, by word, James means gospel. He means the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has broken the power of sin and death, and that we can participate in that through faith in him. But James says you can't just hear about that and do nothing. You can't hear about it and then just forget and move on. He says, don't be hearers who forget, but doers who act. James is really concerned about people who say they're religious, but then their actions do not reflect the mercy and the grace that they've experienced in Christ. If you hear and accept the good news, then your actions should reflect that good news, should share that good news with others in word and deed. For James, specifically, that means your religious beliefs should move you to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself unstained by the world, to refrain from selfish, worldly values. Now, caring for orphans and widows, that's a refrain we hear repeated throughout Scripture, right? Orphans and widows were some of the most vulnerable people in ancient societies. As a patriarchal society, single women and children needed the protection of men. They needed men for advocacy, for um, the basic supports, the basic needs. They needed men and leaders of their household in order to th thrive and survive. James wants us to reject selfish worldly values and focus on caring for those who need it most. He wants to, us to hear the good news, to accept that good news, and then reflect it in what we do in the world. So often, Jesus does this, right? Jesus, of course, he, he talks a lot. He shares a lot of stories. He preaches. But that's not all. He shows us the word. He shows us the good news by what he does, by his actions. Eating with outcasts welcoming children, feeding the hungry, eating with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, raising the dead. So Jesus is the word of God 
in word and deed. The pandemic has really presented us, I think, with an interesting opportunity to reflect on what we do. All of a sudden, right, in March, everything just stopped. We couldn't engage in our usual activities. Everything came to a halt. And since then, we've really had to limit what it is that we do. So it's a, an important opportunity, I think, to reflect on how we spend our time, how we engage in the world. That's happening at a personal level, right? Maybe you're wondering about things you miss and then things you don't miss. I think this kind of reflection can happen at the church level too. All of our activities, except for worship, have come to a halt. They're on pause, and it seems like a great opportunity to ask ourselves, you know, what, in what ways do our church activities reflect the good news? In what ways do they align with our values? What are the things that we miss most, and what are the things maybe we could give up? I think this kind of self-reflection is also happening at a, a broader level, a societal level. You know, when the pandemic first started, um, many people, particularly white people online, were saying that they were just wishing for a return to normal. And we heard overwhelmingly from people of color that they did not want things to return to normal. Because, for example, the norm, the status quo for Canadians of African descent means lower educational attainment and disproportionately higher rates of poverty, poor health, and incarceration. We know that is also the, the norm for many Indigenous communities who struggle to access health care, safe housing, safe drinking water, who lack representation in places of power. As the movement against anti-black racism really gained momentum following the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police, we've all felt compelled to do something. We've seen a movement of people who feel compelled to do something. We've seen the demonstrations. We've tracked the conversations online, in newsrooms, on the radio. We've seen strikes by athletes and more. Just recently, uh, September 9th and 10th, academics across Canada participated in a two-day strike against anti-black and anti-indigenous racism. So over this two days, they ceased to do their regular work and instead held kind of online teach-ins that focused on racism. Lectures, informal lectures that they posted online, within 48 hours received 60,000 views. They held this strike at the beginning of the school year to ensure that when classes start this fall, it is not business as usual. It is not back to normal. Organizer Min Suk Lee says, we are living in a pandemic, an economic crisis, and a reckoning. It is a revolutionary moment, she says. Communities of color are calling for action on racial injustice, and I want to do something in response to that call. There is a national and global conversation about how we can change the way we structure society and how we treat our neighbor, 
And I want to be a part of that conversation. But how? What can I do? I have to be honest with you. You know, I hes hesitate to enter into conversation about racism. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to reveal my ignorance. I have insecurities. Who am I as a, you know, a white, middle-class, educated woman to speak on the topic of racism? But as this reckoning has been happening in recent months, I've come to realize that my ability to remain silent is a function of my privilege and a part of the problem. See, as a white person, I have the privilege to kind of say, I'll address racism when I feel like it. Mm, I don't know what to say, I'm uncomfortable, so I'll talk about that another time. I'll do something about that maybe next month. People of color don't get to take a break from racism or deal with it when they feel like it. And my silence, even if you could argue that it's well-intentioned, is contributing to the problem. Because when well-intentioned white people remain silent, we help perpetuate the status quo. And the status quo is hurting people of color to my advantage. Now, it is hard to accept that I am part of the problem of racism in Canada. If you think that racism is about being cruel to another person because of their skin color, disliking someone because of their skin color, then I would venture to say none of us would identify as racist. I know you all to be generous, kind people, and I hope you think the same of me. But that definition of racism is too simplistic. We need to think of racism as a system. Racism happens when prejudice is baked into the structures of society and backed up by the power of legal authorities and institutional control. So racism is it's deeply embedded in our society. It's, it's less about my individual intentions and more about the ways in which our culture, our laws, our institution, our educational programming have historically and continue to use power and authority to privilege white people and perpetuate prejudice. It's really a big picture view that we have to take. Scholar Marilyn Fry uses a really helpful metaphor, I think, for understanding racism and the importance of a big picture. She uses the image of a birdcage. You can probably picture this with a birdcage or you know, at the zoo going up to a cage. When you're up against the, the birdcage or the bars, you don't see the wires anymore, right? When you press your face up against the wires, you stop seeing the bars and you'll have an almost unobstructed view of the bird inside the cage. If you turn your head to examine the wires, you might notice one or two closely. 
but you'll be able to see through still. You may wonder, why doesn't the bird just go around those few wires? You might even be tempted to think that the bird chooses to stay in the cage. But here's the thing, if you step back and take a step back and back, you begin to see this interlocking system of wires that are in place, barriers that are in place that keep the bird caged. This metaphor is kind of helpful because it helps us to understand why racism is so hard to recognize and understand. We have a limited view. We have a limited view. So, if in this moment you're feeling confused, overwhelmed, hopeless, defensive, know that those are all common responses. The important thing is that we do not leave it there and walk away. We've heard um, time and time again from people of color that they are tired of trying to convince white people there is a problem. It is our responsibility to educate ourselves, to understand the roots of racism and our role within it and what can be done to change. So, as a small but I think important first step, I want to suggest forming an anti-racism reading group in our church. Every other month, we'll read one of the many worthwhile titles that are being circulated right now as required reading for anti-racist allies. We can organize an opportunity for physically distanced discussion, a safe place to really ask questions, engage with these authors, and think through the issues. And then after a period of education and discernment, I think we'll be in a better position to focus on our next steps on this path for justice. I want to suggest our first book will be The Skin We're In, and I, I have a slide with a picture of it, A Year of Black Resistance and Power by Desmond Cole. Desmond Cole is an activist and writer, and I, I chose this book because I think it's, it's an interesting perspective. He was fed up hearing the refrain that life for black and other racialized people in Canada was, quote, not as bad as in America. So Cole set out to document just one year of racism and resistance in our country. This is what he says. I wanted to write a book that basically said, what if we don't talk about the US for a minute? What if we just had to look at our country, not by comparison, better or worse? but just on its own merits, what would we see? What I think would be really cool, though I haven't got approval for this, um, is if we bought a number of copies and our group reads them, works through it, and then we partner with the library to donate those copies so that they can be used in their book club. Uh, these are in-demand titles, and I think in that way we could have a small ripple effect in the conversation and the education that's happening in our community. I know we will stumble along the way, but I, I really hope that you'll join me in this journey. 
Sometimes when things are challenging, it's because something needs to change. The moment for action is now. This work cannot wait. And the good news is that when we engage in anti-racist work, we are coming alongside Jesus, who is already there. He is already there. In word and deed, he includes the marginalized, eating with outcasts. He turns over the tables in the temple and disrupts systems of power. He upholds society's outcasts. Just last week, we heard about the Samaritan, an ethnic outcast, as a model of faith. He calls us, even now, to partner with him in the building of God's kingdom on earth. When our actions align with our deepest values, there we find empowerment and hope. I suspect I am not alone when I say, I would like to be more like Jesus and Jane Fonda. Thank you for listening. I hope you will check out the summary of this episode for my references and for suggested further reading. Get in touch with us through Facebook or email if you would like to join us on the journey toward becoming anti-racist. And tune in next week. We're going to switch things up and start a new series entitled Food for the Soul, exploring the significance and meaning of food in the Bible and our everyday lives. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.